0: Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all here this morning. If you'll keep your Bibles open to 1 Peter, we're going to be studying through 1 Peter this morning for a few minutes. I don't know about you, but I've been in a few situations uh, in work and personal life where where there's a lot of confusion. For example, uh, my business right now... um, There are people who are missing, positions that that are needed, um, things that need to be done that aren't assigned. There are confusing assignments, the confusing responsibilities. Um, There's a a, a lack of general uh, direction, uh, a lack of consistent purpose, uh, vision in many areas. Um, And I'm sure in your experiences as you go through, whether you're sitting in a classroom uh, and you're not sure what's going to be on the quiz, um, if you're going through exams now, right? Uh, is this going to be on the exam? Or... Um, and if you're in a workplace and you see that there are people around you not doing their jobs, uh, falling short, or in fact people who aren't actually um, being assigned with work that needs to be done, there are gaps, there are needs, um, critical pieces that are missing. And it's frustrating when you get into an environment like that where there's a lot of uncertainty. Um, there's a lot of uh, uh, lack of effort and lack of, of uh, coherence in the environment. And in fact, as we look at 1 Peter, um, we see that there's a letter that's being written to the Jews um, who have taken on Christ, who have accepted Christ. Um, and in that, uh, there's a lot of confusion there because the, the people that they were formerly associated with are now looking at them as, why are you following Christ? Why are you following this, this man who calls himself a Messiah? And to make matters worse, they're spread all over the place. If you look in verse uh, 1 of chapter 1, there's a list of, of geographic places that, that Peter is writing to. And in fact, he even calls the Christians that he's writing to aliens. And they're scattered throughout. Now, to put this into, into some perspective, we could say something like the, the Christians who are in uh, Malaysia to the Christians who are in Brazil, to the Christians who are in uh, the Middle East, uh, to the Christians who are in South Africa, to the Christians who are in different geographic places. But that's a little hard to put into context. But what he's really saying is he's writing this to the Christians that are in Easton, to the Christians that are in Glen Burnie. He's writing this to the Christians who are in Annapolis. And he's saying, we understand that you're going through difficult times. The people that you're spending most of your time with are not fellow believers. They're not individuals who share your uh, 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 beliefs. They're not individuals who share your convictions or who share your drive for following Christ. And in that way, it's a difficult life for a Christian to live, especially when you're spread all over. And there's, uh, there's so, so much diversity in the geography. And so the letter that Peter is writing to, he's writing to the, to the Christians who are spread out. And he's saying, take heart. Uh, remember who you are. Remember what you believe. Remember what you were called to do. And as we go through the next few minutes, I'd like to look and see some of the charges and some of the challenges that Peter is making in his letter to the Christians that he's writing to. But remember, these are the same challenges that we experience. I don't know about you, but there aren't a whole lot of professing Christians where I work. There aren't a lot of people who are willing to stand up for their faith and say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he died for our sins. And I don't know about you, but I've driven down the road a few times where there plainly aren't Christians beside me on the roads. Uh, It can be a challenge here. Uh, and, And let's remember who we are, right? With all of these people who don't believe, who aren't confessing, who don't have our faith, we're living in difficult times and we're living with challenges. And these are exactly the kinds of challenges that Peter is writing to encourage us as Christians. So, as we mentioned, he's writing to aliens. And in fact, in chapter 2 and verse 11, he also calls them strangers. Why would Peter call Christians strangers? Because, remember, we're called to be different. We're called to be unique. We're not to blend in with the world, with the people who are around us. We're, frankly, called to be odd. Odd. And if we're not following the way that we really should be, are we strangers? Are we acting like strangers? Or are we acting like the world that's around us? And in fact, these two phrases echo the, the exile uh, that the, the Israelites suffered. Um, the captivity in Babylon and the exile in, in Egypt and the life that they spent in a land where they were surrounded by heathens. Where they were surrounded by uh, people, millions of people who believed in other gods who followed a multitude of other paths that did not agree with them. And that's exactly the wording that he's bringing to mind here. And they were suffering for their beliefs. They were suffering because the people around them did not agree with them. And the rulers and the the powers that be were not Christians. In verse 17 of chapter 1, we see a a, a challenge from Peter to, to the Christians that are out there. To conduct yourselves in fear. During the time of your stay on earth, knowing that where you were, you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. And there we see the very first thing that makes us so different. How can the blood of a lamb make us clean? And how, from a worldly standpoint, that seems ridiculous, seems ludicrous to even make that claim, that a lamb can die and make us clean. And yet Peter is calling us to remember that it's the imperishable blood of the lamb that does make us clean, not silver and gold, like we used to worship in our former way of life. In verses 22 and 23, he continues to to press the Christians to continue in the faith. It says, since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. And that purification of the souls that comes from a love of the, of the brethren and the love that we're called to have one for another and if we have that love one for another, whether we're together all the time or whether we're only together for a couple of hours every week, we can share that love and we can use that love to strengthen us and to make us stronger. But they needed basic guidance. The Christians that, the, that Peter was writing to were, needed some help. And they needed to be um, guided. They needed to be encouraged and strengthened. And if we turn over to chapter 1, chapter 2 of First of Peter, in verse 1, he says, Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and all slander, says, Like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Now, I'm sure as Jason and Kristen are going through now, there's a checklist when you have a newborn. And the checklist, first thing on the list is, are they hungry? Because I can tell you one thing, there's nothing louder than a hungry baby, right? (laughs) So, and exactly, that's exactly the image that Peter is painting for us here. He's saying, desire it, make it, make it, if you need it, make it known. Realize that that is your need to have that new, uh, that milk as if you were a newborn baby. That food that that nourishes you and that that strengthens you, builds you up, and it helps you to grow and to develop. That's what we're called to have, is a love for that, a longing for that pure milk of the word. And who are we, though, as we desire that milk of the word? And a few verses later, in verses 4 and 5, we're reminded who we are and what we've come to be. In verses 4 and 5, it says, And coming to him... As to a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. Remember, we're living as aliens and sojourners, as strangers in the land. And this, he reminds us here that, in fact, the world has rejected Christ and who Christ is and what Christ has done for us. And yet he reminds us that we have accepted Christ as our Savior. And so in verse 5, he continues, You also, as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ. We are the spiritual priesthood that we're called to be through our belief and through our obedience to Christ. And yet, even with that reminders of their unique position as this spiritual priesthood, they still needed basic reassurances. They still had doubts. They still had worries and fears. In verse 21 of the second chapter, he reminds them of the calling that they were called. Says, for you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. As we go through our daily walk, as we encounter people who don't have our faith, who don't have our belief, we're constantly challenged, we're bombarded, we're ridiculed, we're, we're... persecuted for our beliefs. Sometimes it's subtle, sometimes it's overt. But we have to remember that the beliefs that we have are eternal. And as we've seen before, um, those those beliefs and the result of those beliefs is an, an uh, immeasurable and eternal reward that we have to look forward to. As newborn babes that they were called to long for the pure milk of the word, they needed some reminders of, of how they were to live. Um, there are some Guidance in chapter 3 for husbands and for wives, uh, how to love and how to live together. But there were some more general reminders for Christians in verses 8 and 9 of chapter 3. And this is a, a long list and it's a very easy list of words to read, but it's a very challenging list to live up to. In verse 8 and 9 it says, to sum up, All of you, that's everybody, not just husbands, not just wives, but everybody, all of you are to be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead, for you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing." And as we talked about this morning, there was the eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But we're called not to do that. We're called instead to return a blessing instead of an insult. It's easy to say, but in our daily lives, how difficult is it to do? When you have people around that are challenging you, that are pushing you, that are jockeying for you over different positions, how difficult is it to return a blessing for an insult? Somebody says something harsh or unkind to you, how easy is it to return something that's a blessing to them and something that would be heaping coals of fire on their head? But also in those challenging times, not only are till we to return a blessing instead of an insult, but we're called to defend our faith. And in a familiar passage in verses 13 through 15 of the third chapter, Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed, and do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. So as they're going around in our lives as Christians, we get challenged, we get um, pushed and jostled, we get asked, why do you believe what you believe? When I was in college, there was a a, a female student that I got to know and I said uh, one day, so tell me about your church, tell me what you believe. She got all upset and offended and and thought I was attacking and and stormed off. And I thought, wow, okay. If you have an opportunity to, to speak to somebody about your faith, Do it with gentleness and reverence, remembering who we were called to be, remembering the the sacrifice that was given for us, and be grateful for that opportunity that we can espouse our faith, that we can show others what God has done for us, and show them that God sacrificed his son for them as well, not just for us. But it's up to them to respond to it. That gentleness and reverence, again, is again in the line with blessings instead of insults. We know that suffering will come. And in fact, the Christians that Peter is writing to have suffered quite a bit for their beliefs. And in the rest of chapters uh, 3 and the middle of chapter 4, we see that their suffering will continue. And not because they're doing wrong, but because they're doing what's right. So even though the difficult way um, is ahead, love can show us the right path. In chapter 4 in verses 1 and 2, We realize that there is a parallel that Christ has come to this earth and he suffered. Not just to suffer to say he suffered, but to suffer as one of us. As somebody who's come to this earth and lived a life in the flesh. Chapter 4 verses 1 and 2 read, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose. Because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. And we're called to do exactly the same thing. To leave aside the lusts of the flesh, the lusts of men, but to live according to the word, of, will of God. We've already um, found that the challenges that Christians have uh, can be answered and can be returned with blessings, with gentleness, with reverence. And even though it's not easy to do, we're called to do that each and every day. We need to be prepared. We need to be, uh, understand the challenges that are going to come. Further down in chapter 4, we see, as Luke read for us earlier, um, we have a promise that we have to look forward to. As being redeemed, as being saved by the Lamb's blood that was shed for us. In chapter 4 and verse 7, For the end of all things is near. Is it tomorrow? Is it next week? Is it next year, next month, in a hundred years? No one knows. Whether your life might be taken today or tomorrow or in 10 years or 20 years, we're called to be faithful. The end is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint, as each one of you has received a special gift. Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So we see here that we all have some gift that we've been given. And we're called to engage that gift, to use it, not to bury it, not to put it on the shelf and forget about it and let it get dusty. We all have some gift that we can use and that we're called to use. I don't know what your gift might be, but it's our responsibility as Christians, as those who have been sanctified by his blood, to look at our own lives, to see what our gift might be. And we're called in this passage to employ it, not for our own good, not so that we can do something and look great for it, not so that we can get... uh, uh, Recognition and honor and men's praise. But we're called explicitly employ it in serving one another. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do it as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So that in all things. Not in one thing. Not in some things. Not in most things. But in all things. God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. So we see that we're called to use our gift, not for our own good, but to glorify God, who has has sacrificed his Son, that we can have eternal life. We're called to employ it for one another in our service for each other, as servants, and called to be servants that have strength from God, not from ourselves." In chapter 5, there in the beginning, there is a charge to elders. In the first four verses, in verse 5, there's to those who are young men. But in verses 6 and following, we see that there is a charge for the rest of the believers. It says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him. Because he cares for you. You may be separated from other believers. You may be on your own all day long. But Peter reminds us that God cares for us. That he needs to get all of our anxiety. He wants us to cast that onto him. Be of sober spirit, Peter says. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brothers who are in the world, in Malaysia, in South Africa, in the Middle East. There are brothers who have followed God, who have given themselves, given their life over to Christ, who have put him on in baptism, and are living a faithful life. They are suffering for their beliefs, and we are called to resist the devil and knowing that the suffering that's being accomplished by our brethren who are in the world, after you have suffered for a little while, remember the end is near, and we only have suffering for a little while. After that, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself, he will perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. For all those doubts that we have today, for all those uncertainties that we may feel, for all those challenges and those times where we think, maybe I should have spoken up a little bit more. Maybe I should have reacted a little differently. God himself has said that he will perfect us, he will confirm us, he will strengthen us, and he will establish us if we remain faithful through the suffering. And it says, to him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Through Silvanus, our bro- fellow brother, for so I regarded him. I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Day in and day out, the call is to stand firm in the grace of God. So the question for us today is, what do we do with the letter that Peter wrote? Do we put it on the shelf and let it gather some dust? Do we say, oh, it's part of an old book. It really doesn't have a lot to do with me. Quite the contrary. We're called to look at ourselves, to look at our lives, because the faith that Peter says will strengthen us, that will get us through, the God that will give us strength is the same God that Peter wrote about and that we have today. And we have that to look forward to. So the question for you today is, and for myself, let's look at our own lives and see. Do we know what our duties are? Are we standing firm in our life as Christians, day in and day out? Do we have a real longing for the milk of the Word? Do we open it? Do we read it? Do we learn from it? Do we change our lives to conform to it? Or is it simply just another book on our shelf? Do we know who we are? Remember, we're a holy priesthood, a spiritual house, Christ is our example of suffering, died for each one of us. Every one of us is a, somebody who can take advantage of the promise and the purification that only comes through the blood of Christ. He died for each one of us. Are we giving blessings instead of insults in what we do and what we say, in our attitudes toward others? Are we being that blessing to our brothers and sisters? Are we ready to defend our faith? When somebody asks you, why do you believe what you believe? Why do you have to take the Lord's Supper every Sunday? Why do you even believe that Christ is our Savior? Are we ready to give an answer? Are we ready to explain uh, the basis for our faith? Are we living for the will of God? Or are we living for ourselves? Do we know what our gifts are? Have we asked ourselves, what has God given me the ability to do that I can use in serving others in his church? If we haven't, let's take time to do that, to think about that, and to make that part of our goal for the upcoming year. So the title of this sermon was, Who is it up to? And in fact, the letter that Peter writes makes it very clear that it's up to the reader. And as we, as readers today, we look at it and we say, it's up to me. It's up to each one of us to look at our lives and to see what we can do to live for Christ. Usually we have an opportunity every day to do the right things. And we're called as Christians to remember that. And to remember that not just while we're here in the building. Not just when we're driving here or driving back. But every day that we're surrounded by people who don't believe. who People who don't show our faith. Who don't share it. We have that opportunity. And it's up to each one of us. But now particularly today, we have an extra opportunity. We have a congregational meeting. And in this congregational meeting, you're gonna have an opportunity to make your voice known as a member of this congregation. And I would encourage each member here to take that opportunity to say, what can I do to serve my fellow brothers and sisters? How can I help? And to really have an introspective look at your own life, at your own gifts, at your own abilities to see how we can work effectively together. The budget is one of the the areas that we'll be looking at. Where do we spend our money uh, as this congregation? And there are a couple of questionnaires that are gonna be asking for your input on several different areas and options um, for the congregation in the coming months. I would ask all of us to seriously consider, prayerfully to consider, how can we do better in serving one another, our brothers and our sisters? This sermon was given to those who are members of the congregation, to those who have already been baptized into Christ, who have put him on in the watery grave of baptism. There may be those here who have not put Christ on in baptism. That opportunity is now made available for you. The water is ready. If you're willing to confess your sins, to repent them, to repent of them, to dedicate your life to Christ, remember, it's not going to be easy. It, there's going to be suffering. There's going to be difficult times. But Christ has sacrificed himself for you so that your sins can be washed away. And if you've lived a faithful life, that you will live forever with him in eternity. If you haven't put him on in in baptism, or if you've fallen away, if you need the prayers of the congregation for help, won't you let your needs be known as we stand and sing?